Being trained in an effective crisis management system is imperative for minimizing behavioral issues and the need for restraint in schools and treatment facilities. But not all crisis management systems were created equal. If we are going to meet the growing intense behavioral needs of individuals while simultaneously reducing the need for restraints, every leader and policymaker who is involved in areas related to behavioral challenges should understand what a complete crisis management system is comprised of and how to embed one into any setting. For more information, check out crisisintervention.com. Welcome to the Crisis in Education podcast, where educational leaders and experts across the world dissect the root causes of issues and explore potential opportunities for sustainable improvement across schools and districts. And now your co-hosts, Dr. Polly and Drew. Okay, thanks for joining me again on the Crisis in Education podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Polly. And I am joined by Dr. Damia. Did I say that right, Damia? You Demia did. Thank Thomas. you for asking that question. <laughs> yeah, I, I could. I and I screw names up all the time. I'm really. I have a problem with names. Well, anyway, so I came across some content uh, on LinkedIn about uh, Damia. Uh, Damia, do you prefer Damia, Dr. Thomas? I don't. I should ask that as Demia's well. Damia is fine. Yes, okay. I appreciate you asking. Damia is fine. Okay. All right. Well, so so I came across um some of your your some content on um on LinkedIn, and what struck me is that you had been a principal for about ten years, uh, mm-hmm. amongst other things, and uh, working with uh, in urban schools and high poverty schools, and I thought, man, we've chewed on some of the same dirt. And yeah. uh, you, in particular, you had mentioned uh, um, building culture and uh, through good systems and leadership, and that's where I'm like, okay, I we we need to we need to chat because this yeah. is the world that I live in, and uh, so I wanted to hear about you know some of the struggles that you had in education and things that you learned along the way, and you know what your focus has been on. So you know, welcome to the podcast, Amia. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thank you for the invitation. Um, yeah, so. I, if I can just go back a little bit, like, I think it's really important to provide some context in terms of the work um, that I do. Um, and, and that being, you know, in high school, I was like this honor roll student, college bound, you know, going to award dinners and just like, yeah, I'm the shit, right? So <laughs> uh, I go to college and I completely bomb. I'm in remedial classes. I, the content is something way beyond what I was prepared for. And I didn't realize it until after I left college, when I started teaching, I joined the Teach for America program and started teaching in 1993. I realized how poor my education was, right? Subpar education is permeates the country. Um I grew up in a poor neighborhood in Bedford-Stuyvesant, Brooklyn. We had food stamps and Medicaid, right? I I was that kid. Um, And so me being in the college-bound program and being, you know, just like all these accolades for my, for my brilliance, um, you know, was, it was shattering for me. It really, it really put a dent in who I thought I was as a person, right? Um, and so when I got into education, I was like, yeah, no, this has got to change. Like I will only work in urban education. The face of urban education has to change because we are setting kids up for failure, specifically black and brown kids who do not have opportunities that other, that other children have. Um, and so I became a teacher and was damn good at it. Like when people ask me, like, what I do, I'm like, I'm a teacher at heart. Um, and I think one of the reasons that I am good at is because I can relate to the to students and just be my authentic self. Like I don't need to be anybody else. Um, hey, can you pause up. there for a second? And please don't forget your story. I know you're not going to feel it, but like, man, when when I think about because I've seen it, I've 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 worked in very you know impoverished neighborhoods and and schools, high crime areas. And uh, I remember in one of them in particular, there was actually, it was a, uh, one of our uh, uh, magnet schools in the area. And I remember sometimes I see some of the kids from the neighborhood walking into that school. I'm like, that one kid, those two kids might have a chance in life. The right. rest of them that were going to all these other schools, man, man, their chance is so limited. And then you have people in our world that are saying, well, they got to pull themselves up 
by the bootstraps. That's what I did. Like, gosh, you have no idea what it's like to be born into a hole. Yeah. And then you're like, you said like, gosh, it just, man, I almost got chills when you said it, just thinking that you were equipped with all this knowledge and skills and you go out into to the university and find out how far behind you are. It's through no fault of yours. You right. didn't mean for that to happen. You thought you were getting a good, get good education. And yeah. it's sad because to your point, again, this is happening all over the, the country. And I don't, I don't know why it's not on the, the, the lips of every politician that's out there right now, yes. why they're not yeah. talking about education, because if we're going to reduce poverty, increase, uh, reduce crime rates, reduce incarcerations and improve quality of life, uh, you know, help build, rebuild our, our country in a way that's meaningful to everybody. Yeah. We should be really focusing hard on education and we are not. And it's yeah. scary. Yeah. It, yeah. It's, it's like, you know, I hear this, this phrase about the bootstraps just gets under my skin, but it's like, I was at a conference, um, about a couple of weeks ago and someone was making an analogy with the bootstraps, which was so like on point. And it's kind of like, Sure, we all think of a pair of boots. You have, you know, your no frills boots and you have, you know, your high quality boots. And when you're walking for a long time in each one of those pairs of boots, they're going to get worn down. And so if I have the no frill pair of boots, which is what I have with my subpar education, and I'm walking around in that for years, and then all of a sudden I need to tie them tight because I need to go for a run or do something and those bootstraps pop. Right? So, yeah, I am pulling myself up by my bootstraps, by the things that have been provided for me. But those bootstraps aren't strong enough to sustain me. I, I see it. in my mind. That makes sense. I see it like almost like it's a race, right? We're like, yeah, there's a race going on. And um, this is probably the 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 equity argument versus equality. And, and um, you know, the starting gun goes off. But you have people who are on the line. You have people that are actually ahead of the line, right? They got a head start on it. And then you mm-hmm. have people way behind. They're like, some are a quarter lap behind, a half lap behind, a whole two or three laps behind. How are they ever going to catch up? They did not mean for that to happen. They were yeah. born into this environment. And even now you're in this environment, you don't even have, you're not even afford the luxury to think differently if that's all you are surrounded by, yeah. right? If it's to, for pe- of people who have been brought up in those environments. And so your, your, your thinking becomes like their thinking, you know, and if it, you've, if it's been, uh, a, 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 impoverished community and so it becomes impoverished thinking, it's poverty that ends up nailing people, right? Not the people. It's the Absolutely. environment. So anybody that's born in that hole is going to have this mindset. So you've got to now weed through this mindset to know that you don't there's so much that you don't even know that you don't know so it's just like it is it is horrible it is it is it is terrible i mean and being a product of it i will say you know i have been very fortunate to be on the the side of poverty where my family never made me feel poor right like growing up with my mother and my grandmother they i never felt like i was poor like i never knew what poverty was until i went to college (laughs) right? Like I didn't realize that I grew up that way, which is, you know, kudos to them, like never making me feel that way. Mm -hmm. Um, But there are, there are, you know, families and and students who don't have that, who don't have the, who know and realize that they're growing up poor and are always in this comparison with their, with their peers about, you know, how they're living. Um, And that's, that's truly difficult. And as an educator, you know, Teaching it in the schools, I actually taught at my alma mater where I went to elementary school. It was amazing. I got a chance to teach along my fourth Very grade cool. teacher. It was so amazing. Very cool. Um, uh, and, and teaching in, in environments like that, like you have to be aware of like this cultural awareness of the environment that you're in. And whether you have grown up, because there are people who have grown up poor and then teach in urban schools with marginalized students and still have this ideal around pull yourself up by your bootstraps because I did thing, right? So just because you grew up poor doesn't mean you automatically understand, you know, what poor folks are going through. Some people flip the script and are like, no, I did it. So you can do it. And then they are the ones that are the worst to me because it's like, really? How did you get what you had to go through to get there and the opportunities that were afforded to you? You need now to provide those opportunities to the students that are in front of you. Right. Well, they they think it was some 
they're not recognizing that I see this happen with the schools in these title one schools all the time where they'll, they'll point at the one school that did well. Right. Not understanding that that took extraordinary, extraordinary yeah. effort because you've done it. I've done it to turn these schools around and it's rarely sustainable by the way. Right. Because you right. group of people there. And as soon as that group of people leave or the, 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 the school yeah, leader, start all over again. Default, it starts all over again. So we can't point to the exception and say, that's that person did it or that school did it. We need to make it so it's the norm that this right. can happen, right? So you expect everybody to engage in exceptional behavior over a long period of time to produce it, produce these outcomes. You're pointing to the one and no, we should be, we should be looking at the norm and we want that norm baseline to raise, 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 not, not, not use that exception. That drives me nuts. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it's insane to even think to, to think that way. I know when I was, um, when I became a principal in, in Baltimore, um, I remember I was just finishing up my cancer treatment. I was just at the end. And the person in the district said to me, Demia, just go in and clean up the school. Right. One of the largest schools in Baltimore, elementary schools in Baltimore it used to be two separate schools, one primary, one, you know, third through fifth. And they combined it. So there was like tension um, between the two staff. Um, and so my job was to go in and clean it up. It was on one of the um, turn. It was on the turnaround list for like persistently dangerous because there was a lot of suspensions and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And elementary school. Right. Oh, I, I'll be um, there. <laughs> crazy. Um, How many students, seven, by the way? About 700. OK. Yep. I used to have a thousand students, but when I got there it was about 700 kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I go in, you know, again, I'm at the end of my cancer treatment. I'm tired a lot. I'm like, all right, my task, this is my first year as a principal in a school this size, just period, right? Like I had done administrative work in New York, but it wasn't in the official title as a principal, right? Um, and so you don't know what you don't know, like you said. I'm going in and I'm going and I'm, I'm working off of naturally the, all the theory that you learn, right? Um, cause I went through the new leaders program. So they, they provided a lot of support. The new leaders is actually a good program. Yeah. I went through new leaders. Um, and they provided a lot of support, a lot of content that I really used as a school leader. Um, but I was also like, I needed a mentor. Like I needed a coach. I needed someone to, like to help me think through all of the things that were in my head, because in my mind, I'm like, okay, this is sense of urgency. We got to go. We don't have time to waste. You don't want to be here. Get the hell out of my school. And, Let me and, find and, somebody else who who wants to be here. Right. Yeah. Um, and, that and look here to me. Mind. I can't tell my fighters. I can't get my fighters. I'm a professional fight coach, mixed martial arts coach. I can't right. get them theory and think they're going to be able to handle business in that cage or ring, man. They're going to take a, uh, a beating, right? right? They need coaching. Yes, absolutely. And that's, I took, that's a, that's a great analogy. I took a beating, right? And it's okay. It's okay because it made me a stronger leader, right? My whole purpose going in those first two years was to create an environment where the two separate schools were now working as one. I want to pause you there again, because I agree with you on this 100% that's okay. And it made me the person I am, all the beatings I I took. Here's what's not okay about it though. It comes at the expense of the students and the teachers, right? Because we were learning on the job and this makes the case for people like us or coaches, right? To help other leaders. So they don't have to take that beating or engage in behaviors. Oh, I didn't mean to do that. Right. It, 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 it improves everything more quickly with, of course, the right coach. But go ahead. I didn't mean to. Absolutely. No, I agree with you 100%. It's setting, you're you're not moving as fast. You can't build momentum when you are moving at that pace. Mm -hmm. So completely agree. Um, And so clean up the school environment. You know, it took at least two, at least two to three years to really get a strong instructional leadership team. For me, that was the key. Can you, before you talk about some of the things that you did well, can you talk about the mistakes that you made at the beginning uh, the, before you knew what you didn't know, right? So a couple of the key mistakes that you made when you're like, you know what, 
I can't do this. I get, there's some other things I got to do because there's probably a lot of people who are well-intended like you. Like I know you are well-intended. I can, I sense your authenticity, right? Nobody stays in school this long and does the things that you've done. Uh, mm-hmm. if you, if you, you don't care, right. You're authentic. Right. So, but we know in the end, it's not about our intention. It's about our impact. impact and, right. but, but I think intent is very important because it can keep us driving. That's why you end up being successful because you wanted to be, and you kept making some changes, but what were the initial things that you tried to do? And like, you know what, that wasn't the right way to go about it. Yeah. One of the things, <laughs> oh my goodness. I, um, because I did not know the staff and didn't know who to trust. I didn't know who the gatekeeper was. It took me a minute to find, to realize who the gatekeeper was. Um, I started making decisions that I didn't get input from, from other people. So I started making decisions that I thought would be best for the school. Right. And, and met with like, Hey, wait a minute. No. Um, (laughs) well, what are you doing? Like, we'll do it because you said so, but the the impact of that was like I had to go back and fix that, right? I had to go back and, and apologize and say, I'm sorry. I, I thought that this would be the best approach, but I realize now, right? Like I really should I should include you all in this decision making process. Um regardless if I felt like they really weren't for kids or not, they were still a part of the team. And as long as they were in my in our building, I had to include them in the decision-making period until I got rid of them, right? Until I coached them out. Um, And so making decisions like changing the uniform color, something so simple, but it is some like the uniform color was something that was a staple in the school for years. Like that school had been in the community so many years. People, I would meet people on the street. Oh yeah, I know that school. I went there. My grandmother went there. My aunt went there. Like it's been there forever. So to come in and to change something that I thought was as simple as a uniform, it really wasn't just about the uniform. It was about the history that it had for the school. And folks, I got to tell you that this is such a great example of theory. Now, um, we both know that we learn this stuff in theory, right? Involve your stakeholders. But it looks one thing on paper until you get out there and you experience this like, oh, this is what this is, means. And this is why you need to involve them because right. uh, if not, you're going to get into hot, you know, hot water. And you're right. In, in my book, Quick Wins, I talk about that, like, you know, uh, changing. You might paint over a mural because you think it's old. And, th- and then you find out like the teachers got together and the students did. And that was like a pillar of the school and something they took pride in. Now you've just completely undermined your position, and your ability as a leader. And that's just what Absolutely. happened with you. But you're so authentic that you went back. And you apologize. You said, I'm sorry. And I love that, man. I see good leaders are authentic and they admit they're transparent. They admit when they make a mistake. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And if I and I would tell them that all the time. If I don't know something, I will find it out for you because we're in this together. Just because I'm the principal doesn't mean I know everything, right? It's just a role. But we're in this together. This is our school. So And I did that, too, because I want them to see that it's okay to make a mistake and to own up to it. Right. Because then we can fix it together. But don't you know, you know how it goes. Um, But you're modeling good behavior, though. Yeah. Yeah. Another mistake that I made was um, not knowing the teacher contract well enough. You got to know your teacher contract when you are a principal, right? Um, because they will quickly let you know where you're making your mistakes. Oh, no, that's not in the contract. Oh, no, you can't do that. So um, I had to learn that one rather quickly, too. So, <laughs> um, But for me, the, like one of the things that really helped me was, again, with those first two years in that school, a lot of learning, a lot of mistakes, a lot of reaching out to, you know, uh, the program that brought me into school leadership for like, listen, I need some support. Like I need, who can like, so then they assigned me a mentor to come to the school um, and talk me through some things, um, which was, which was helpful. But the, the learning that I did was really on my own, Mm -hmm. the holes that I stepped in, how I picked myself up out of those holes, the people that I had conversations with at the school so building that leadership team and one of the things in building a leadership team that I that really saved me, saved our school, I should say, was you have to have the power of discernment as a school leader. 
So I, you know, going in and doing observations, my cl- my office was classrooms. I was barely in my office. I was in classrooms, connecting with teachers, connecting with 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 students. And I noticed one a man who happened to be a paraeducator in in education for years. Amazing. Just had like this was a genesee qual for like, you know, um working with kids, knowing the community. I pulled him out of that classroom so fast and made him like the dean of behavior, the dean of climate, right? When you see leadership qualities in people, you can pull them out. And I finagled it because he wasn't supposed to be in that role, but I had the power of the budget. So I was able to be creative and put him in that role. But on paper, he was something else. Like you have to be creative. You have to be courageous as a leader because if you follow what the district tells you to do, the district where only 49% in the United States, only 49% of superintendents have ever been principals or teachers, you have to have courageous leadership in terms of making decisions that you know are best for your kids. Because if I'm in urban school A, urban school B looks different. So they're going to need something totally different, right? If we're talking about equity, I need to know what I what's the prescription for my school. And regardless of what the district says, I'll teeter along with the, that line. But I'm going to make decisions that are best for our school. Let's take a quick break. If you work across schools or treatment facilities and you want an environment characterized by students or clients behaving well and meeting their goals, you need everyday behavior tools. These tools are so powerful and generalizable that you can train anybody anywhere in them. Here is the best part. The entire instructor training is online. If you are interested in becoming an everyday behavior tools trainer to improve behavior in your organization while also generating more income for yourself, go to crisisintervention.com. You've dropped so many nuggets in here. I just want to recap a couple of like really powerful ones that you've mentioned and uh you know you only people who've been there and done it you know can can drop these kind of nuggets um but there are important nuggets one of the ones was that you were out and about you were in the classrooms a lot um and uh, what i find is that as i, I know you find obviously is that the, the successful principals uh the successful schools have administrators that are very visible um though it's not just about being visible. It's also about what they're saying, what they're doing, but fundamentally they got to be out and about. Right. Um, number two, when you talked about involving your stakeholders, when, once you're identifying your stakeholders, but it sounds like you've also identified your influencers, uh, mm-hmm. which is tremendous. Right. So some of the influencers are the people you want by your side. Some of them are the ones that if they're not on board, they're going to be toxic. They're going to be a thorn in the side. They're going to be they're going to they're going to hurt the mission and the vision of the school and so you have to involve them right so so cuz they're an influencer as well so knowing your influencer is influence is very important now and then the final one that you said there about being courageous and that's what I I saw um that the administrators that were successful um did what was best for the students which also meant doing what was best for the staff because to bring out the best in the students you got to bring out the best in staff and and policies are like a mean you know i mean they're they're like all right here's what most people do but that doesn't it doesn't it doesn't look at the rich context of schools and then what yes. what you know what the different issues are going on on there so you made the decisions that were going to be in the best interest of of the of the students and and, and the educators despite what the district said or did. And I love that. It does take courage because some of the districts, it's scary. It's your job, you know? And if you make the wrong decisions, they're going to hang you out to dry. Unfortunately. Absolutely. 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 It's so funny. (laughs) When the district would come in, one of the things that I would make really clear, like when the district came in is like, I respect your role as a district leader, but I need you to understand that I am running a school. So if you pop in and visit, you're going to have to understand if I'm in an observation, I'm not coming out to come and talk to you. Right. Like you have to wait. Either you're going to you're going to schedule a time on the calendar to meet or if you just pop in, you have to understand that you may be waiting for a while for I, me to come to you. Like I'm not going to stop drop and roll just because you're from the district. I'm another nugget. You you set expectations on how you are going to run. Absolutely. That that takes 
real leadership to be like, no, that's not how we're going to roll. Here's how I know you got to meet with me, but here's my priority. Okay. So you need to work around. And they, and they will meet it. Like once you set that expectation, Mm -hmm. the district folks are like, okay, no, what, what, Miss Thomas, you're going to have to schedule. Cause if you go, you have to wait. Like they know that, right. You can't write me up for doing my job. (laughs) Especially when that data starts moving in the right direction. Right. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, they would come in the building and, 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 you know, my AP, uh, my APs and I would sit there and I noticed that when they first started coming in and I cleaned up shop. So I'm talking about now when I have a really strong instructional leadership team that, um, they would talk about all these initiatives and things that, that needed to happen. And my APs would start asking questions. And so and then I realized, I'm like, damn it. So much time has just passed for like, okay, I had the huddle. We had the meeting after the meeting. Listen, anytime the district comes in and they're sharing initiatives, just nod and say, okay. That's it. Just nod and say, okay. Because no, we they'll keep stacking them on you, man. Because we know when they leave, we're going to take the pieces that they are sharing with us that fit for our school. Mm-hmm. And we're going to use those pieces only. So all we need to do is just listen. Yep. Right. Just yep. listen. Yep. <laughs> and so the meeting started going very quickly. They would come in and out, in and out, in and out. Okay. Yep. Great. We got you. We got, we're going to, yep. Cool. And we did what we felt was best for our school. We didn't mm-hmm. do everything, tick every box <clears throat> off the list. It's not possible. I, 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 yeah. And it's, and I, and what I'm hearing you say as well is that that was, you, you're not saying, it, but you're saying is that you're also protecting the teachers because they keep getting stuff dumped on them one after the other. And you're right. It's not, I remember when the, the early evaluations came out and hopefully have changed across the country. I don't know, but they bastardized the meta-analyses put out by like uh, Marzano and uh, they, they're asking the teachers to engage in like the 50 different instructional strategies. I'm like, how do you expect them to 50 <laughs> behavior science tells us that we can work on one or two behaviors at a time to shape those up. Right. right yeah. And so all yeah. this stuff will come up through. I'm like, Oh my God, man, just throw them all out. Let's just focus on these one or two. And by going slow, we'll go fast. So, you know, good administrators are going to filter that stuff out and give the teachers what they need to be successful, not overwhelm them. They got to yep. like put the umbrella up and protect them from all that stuff that they just don't understand. And yep. we it, don't need them. So, so true. And that, yeah. that's, that's one of the pieces that you just lifted, Polly. Is what I'm working with with my my the school leaders that I coach right now. That is the piece. Like they are so overwhelmed with the initiatives that the district is putting on them that they are not a hundred percent at any of them because it's just too many. And so my coaching stance with them is really around this courageous leadership. Like diagnose your you know what your school needs. We're we're teaching curriculums instead of teaching learning standards. So get away from that. Take the pieces that real that you know work. Work with your leadership team. Figure out the cipher the pieces that really work for your school. That's not my job as your coach, right? That's your job as a school leader. Um, figure out those pieces with your with your leadership team, and then make it work. Do not tick off all those boxes. It's not possible. You're gonna you're hamstering a wheel. Yeah. You're just doing doing actions, and you're working hard and busting your ass, and then. You're disappointed because you're not seeing the results match up with the, the effort that you're putting in. I agree. And that's going to, that is going to squash effort um, and everything else. And this is what the districts, there's such a disconnect. When, when I work with school districts, I do, I do this uh, approach with uh, my colleague, Anika Costa. Uh, it's a value-based systems analysis um, and uh, performance engineering. And what we do is we start with the end in mind, what result do you want to produce? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, what do students need to do? Okay. Then, what do the teachers need to do to help the students? And what's the administration need to do to help the teachers? And then, what's the district leadership need to do to help the 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 the, the school leaders? So, when you when you when you interlock those behaviors like that, then if the school's not being successful, right, you can't blame the principal, right? You have to look at Principal performance is a product of a school district leadership performance, right? So it's interlocking. So 
you know, instead of just dumping stuff off the principal and blaming them, we're all responsible for what's going on. Same way the teachers are responsible for student behavior, school leaders are responsible for teacher performance, district leaders are responsible for school leadership performance, but they tend to wash their hands of it. So the first thing I do is make that connection, but still going to come back to like behavior and results, like we, we you know, like you were talking about, right? right. We the, Their yeah. effort has to produce some sort of accomplishment that's that's salient to them that they can see that we are moving in the right direction. Otherwise people just will stop doing the things that they're being asked to do or just do enough to get by. And only when you're looking. Yeah. Yeah. It, there, there's so many layers to it, right? Like, and everyone has a role to play. I am not a politician, Paulie. I don't have the attitude. The You're the keep it real, man. No, you don't I, play I don't game. have it. I don't have the patience for <laughs> bullshit. Like, I'm going to tell you what it is. Yeah. I'm going to rub your back while I'm telling you. Yeah. But my expectation is my expectation. Right? Like mm-hmm. every, I used to hang out after work with my staff and have a drink with them and laugh and talk and give them a memo the next day. Mm-hmm. Right? Like that's what it is. It's not personal. We're talking about marginalized kids' lives, black and brown babies' lives. My life. That mm-hmm. was my life. Mm-hmm. So it's personal for me. Right? Like, it's personal for me in terms of the work that I do, but it's not personal when I give you a memo because we have a job to do, right? And if you're not doing that, tell me how I can help you do that. Then let me work with you to figure that out. And if I realize that it's, you, you know, you, if it's skill and not will, we can work on that. The will part, that's on you. I can give you nuggets here and there. I can, you know, cause I can motivate the hell out of a staff once I'm in front of them. Right. Cause I use data as my, as my, as my point of reference all the time when I'm communicating with staff, this is where we are as a state of the school. This is what this means for that many kids in your, in your classroom 10 years from now, you that's on you. <laughs> right. And I don't care where you come from as a school leader, I mean, as a teacher, right? Like, so when I went into the school building uh, years ago, a lot of the teachers in there could have retired, right? They were in there 28 years, 30 years. No, I'm sorry. Thank you so much for your service. But you're not keeping up with the pace that I need you to keep up with to really move the needle for kids, right? Mm -hmm. I got to coach you out. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The district... the district, the guy, the the uh, office at the district um, was like, okay, Miss Thomas, if we get another <laughs> like termination of of service from you, like, do you terminating a lot of your teachers? Well, yeah, because I don't believe in passing off lemons to another colleague. If we're in the same district and the district is, you know, servicing marginalized kids, I'm not going to pass those lemons off to them and have mm-hmm. them do the work. I'm going to do the work now. And my documentation was clean. You hear me? I got rid of every person that needed to go. Yeah, They either left on their own or they were terminated. Get on the bus or get off, man. Getting the right That's people it. in the place is huge. It's That's You know it. what's sad about that? Though on 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 their behalf, because well well first let me let me I want to I want to pause on this because I I agree with you. Like I give me somebody with will and I could I can really build the skill, right? It's easy right. to do that. Um, I will say that there's a lot of people where the will is on the fence, and I'm sure you're not giving yourself enough credit for uh, fostering that will because I think good leaders actually they engage in behavior that has like what we call in the science of uh, it's motivational operation, right? It has a value and behavioral altering effect, right? They create value for that thing that's on the horizon and they make it worth going through all the crap now to get to that thing on the horizon. And I know that you're doing that and they, and they do it by like building a good culture, culture, shared behavior, but they set good expectations and rules. They model good behavior. Uh, they reinforce good behavior. They also, uh, they, they reinforce self-management behavior, but they also punish unethical behavior, right? They have to stop right. that. So they create this environment where everybody can be successful by involving them, finding out what's important to them, uh, all aligning it around shared values. And I think that's, you know, incredibly, incredibly important to understand uh, that, yeah. that, that good leaders do that kind of stuff. Now, the other part is about these uh, educators that are not being successful. Um, a, a couple of things with that, and I would love to know your thoughts on it. Um, I, I think that higher education is doing a really piss poor job too often. I'm not going to say everybody of preparing the educators for the demands of the classroom, the same way school leaders 
are 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 not being prepared for the demands of the school and districts as well. So there's there again, it's right up the chain. And then when they don't do well, they get blamed. Um, mm-hmm. And I find that uh, you know blaming is not going to get us anywhere. Now you are as a school leader are getting the heat from the school district, and the school district is getting the heat from the state you know leadership. And I'm like, man, what about they're we're being dealt a hand of cards of people who do not fully have the skills right. to be successful. And if you don't have the skills that can punish the will because you're trying to do it. And then you don't think that you can, because you're not seeing it produce the outcome. And so I really think that we need to do a far better job of teacher preparation programs. And like yeah. these out of field teachers that are passing a certification exam and kind of jumping through some hoops, man, they're learning on the job. And again, they're learning at the job at the expense of the students, at the expense of their own mental health, at, at the expense of the school leaders who are trying to turn the schools around. So we got to do a really, we yeah. got to revamp the way that we're preparing these guys. Yeah. I, I'm glad you raised that as a point because uh, as principals, you know, at these mm-hmm. meetings, we talk about it all the time. One of my uh, colleagues who went through the doctoral program, her dissertation was exactly on that. Um, colleges and universities are not are doing a terrible job. Like, I mean, it has to change. Like, they be like the, vocational. They need to bring it into the schools, right? They Put do. The college they right do. into the schools. Yep. And not not just like you know this three month you know that they do towards the end. I can't remember what they call that because I came in so much. It's a, a half ass internship. Right. Right. So they need at least a year, yep. at least a year. And the in teachers, the season in teachers. In urban school. Yes. Right? In urban schools. Yes. yes. In urban school. And those teachers that you've identified as the ones that are great teachers, they need to be taught how to coach because coaching, as you know, is a very a specific skill set and they should be getting more money. And so yeah. should the, the teachers in the high poverty schools. They should be getting more because it's more of a challenge there. It's more of a it challenge. Is, it is, but I will. I will say this, Polly. I do agree with you. I, however, every school that I've been in, right? Like I opened up an all girls charter school. I worked at you know the urban school in Baltimore, and no, every single educator that I've ever worked with as a school leader, money was not their issue. No, 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 it Money was not. Money is not their issue. It never and I is. get it. No, I get I get the idea of like, you know, they need raises. Right, right? Like, like the everyone needs a raise. Like it's hard to survive nowadays. I get that. But teachers truly, if they are in an environment that is safe, where they feel supported, where they have the tools that they need to be successful, where they you know, they would prefer to be in an environment like that than to be in another environment getting more money. There is no doubt about it. I agree 100%, right? People are not leaving for the money, but they come for the money. They stay for the culture, right? And so we need to get the best of the best in these schools. And unfortunately, too many of these schools, and I'm seeing this with alternative education, are not getting the best of the best, right? You know, you know the teachers that are the best of the best, like because those teachers that can teach in those schools, they're freaking incredible. The school leaders that can do it, man, what is more difficult than leading a school in high poverty? These are like the greatest leaders in the world because you don't have money to give people who are doing exceptional. You could barely fire them. And if you fire them, who are you going to replace them with, right? So right. leading these schools is really exceptional. And uh, again, because it's so difficult and it requires exceptional people as it stands. We need to change that. And right. I think over time we're going to, but we still got to pull these people in. There's shortages all the time. My wife right now, I, I was in the schools. There, There's subs everywhere in these schools, right? So we still, oh, we got to get people in the seats, but not just any people, because you know, if it's the wrong person, you'd rather have them not be in the school because they'll screw things up in your school that, you know, they can be toxic. So we got to pull those in. So when I talk about money, I mean in that way. I know they're not leaving because of the money. They're leaving because of the culture, because of the leadership, right? Right. But we still got to get them in there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And And the programs, the alternative teaching programs, again, to your point of over intent versus impact, Right. Like, yeah, it's a great idea. Right. These alternative teaching programs that get you in the door and have a warm body standing in front of kids who really want to do well by kids because they chose to be here. Like, yeah, I want to do this. Right. Some of them are career changers. Some of them are just graduating from college and, you know, just still have milk on their lips. Right. They're 22 years old and standing in front of in front of kids like who are, you know, maybe 
10 years old, five years, six years older than them in, in some high school instances, right? So it's, it's, we do have to get better at that. And, and one of the things I will say about those alternative programs is that I, I for a long time, and it's so funny because I came in through an alternative program myself. I came in through Teacher America in, nine, in 93. But I, I have found in my experience as a school leader that this feel like this feeling, I always, I would get this feeling sometimes with teachers that came in through these programs, like they were coming in to save marginalized kids. You're not, no. If you're coming in from that stance, like I want to come in and save children, that's the wrong stance. That's the wrong stance, right? For me, it's you're coming in because you know that this work is needed to change the lives of children. It's different from I'm coming in to save you and coming in to say, I'm putting the right seeds in place so that you can be successful later on in life. There's two different, there's two different. Yeah, I see that the shift from being about me to being about them. Right. Yeah. Right. I'm Um, your savior to let's help you have a better life. Absolutely. And I think as, as a school leader, when we are interviewing teachers, especially teachers coming through alternative programs, like that, that you need to listen and be in tune for the, for that kind of language, right? Like what they want to do as opposed to what students need. Well, I would see administrators. Now, when I was there, when I had administrator and we were, we were hiring them, I would walk them through. I need them to see everything, right? Oh, yeah. They need to see the worst of the worst, the best of the best within school. Because when that, when their expectation did not met, match what the reality was, they were going to shut down anyhow. They were going to leave. It's going to be lots of problems. So I need the people to know what was going on and still be right. willing to come on in there. Yeah, absolutely. Do a student lesson. I would put them in the toughest classroom in the building. I need to see you teach for 20 minutes. <laughs> come on in here. and uh, Yeah. And then I would ask the classroom teacher to leave the room because I want to see authentically because, you know, kids are going to be kids. They're going to be themselves. Yep. So oh. the real classroom teacher would have would have like a 20 minute break while I'm sitting sitting in there observing this this inter, you know, this potential teacher to come into our building. So yeah, you, you gotta you gotta show them what the real deal is so that they understand, you know, what they're stepping into. Cause I think it's this idea of people have their own ideas of what education looks like, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you tell them that you work in urban education, so oh, God bless you. <laughs> Um, but we need it. We need it. And I feel like my, my job is to shift, like change this narrative of urban education, one school leader at a time. That's it. Well, good. Because when, when you do that, you can shine a light on what's been done. I think that is really important, uh, because there's gotta be a systematic approach. I have my own ideas about it through the, the, you know, through, through behavior analytic approaches, the science of human behavior is applied to organizations, organizational behavior science. And I would bet that um, even though, you know, you're not a behavior scientist, I would guarantee that the stuff that I talk about mirrors what you do um, mm-hmm. because if it's working, there's a, there's a scientific reason uh, behind it. Now I would like to make the shift to that because you mentioned um, in, in, in some of the stuff that I had read on LinkedIn about you, uh, about systems approaches, and I very much believe in, uh, you know, having good systems in place. And just for our listeners, I want to I want to qualify system because systems can be kind of nebulous. And you, so people understand the importance of it uh, before I pass it back to you. Um, mm-hmm. So I want everybody listening to this to think about if you were out driving and there are car accidents everywhere. And, um, you know, the, there was a cop out there and they're giving tickets to everybody every day, tickets. And, and uh, the, you know, they're actually sending people back to driving school and uh, some are losing their license. And there's even a few that are going to jail. And then and you're just pissed off about it every day. But then you zoom out. You're like, wait a second. There's no rules of the road. There's no lines in the road. There's no green light, yellow light, red lights, right? There's nothing that guides behavior to ensure that it's going to happen even when you're not there. Like nobody's coming out there to tell you to stop or make a right-hand turn or do the speed limit. The system guides your behavior. And when we have good systems in place, good systems actually 
I believe accelerate, behaviorally speaking, accelerate the delivery of positive reinforcement for value added behavior, right? Doesn't necessarily mean that we're out there telling them people are doing a great job, but good systems help people see the impact of their behavior. Good systems right. have good tight feedback loops with measurement in it, right? So people say, when I do this, here's what happens. So it right. guides their behaviors. Good systems, you know, facilitate good self-management, all these pieces of the puzzle. So this is why people need to understand like a good teachers have good classroom management systems. And if we look at that, like you zoom out, Behaviorally, it's like really the same thing, right? They have expectations for the students. They're going to reinforce their behavior. They're going to correct it. School leaders have good systems for the the teachers, right? They're going to, you know, they have expectations. They're going to reinforce performance. They're going to correct it, right? And it's all all aimed at producing some important educational result. And so uh, I just want people to understand that systems are incredibly important. Good systems with good leadership. You can't have one without the other. Right. Uh, Yeah. So anyway, so with that. I want to hear what you thought about systems, like what 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 fundamental systems that you think need to be in place or that you work on in schools and, you know, whatever you want to talk about systems. Yeah. Um, so I, I come from the my lens with systems is really about data systems, because I feel like, you know, in my experience, when teachers have given pushback about anything. When you have data you can't really push back on data. Let like the day dude talking. The, the numbers are the numbers, right? So like if you have 25 students in your room and, you know, five of them raised the same five students participated in conversation throughout the lesson, that's a fact, right? That's not, you can't. So now my question to you is like, how do we make that classroom discussion more inclusive where everyone is having an opportunity where you can hear, right? Because teacher feedback is one of the number one, like, research-based practices for to move learning, right? To move student learning, right? All learning requires feedback. You can't have any right. learning without feedback. Right. So if you're not getting feedback from students, then how are you going to know how to, how to move kids? So you can't refute that, right? So I have learned that the system of using mm-hmm. data as a part of the conversation is critical. Pretty After a while, staff started to realize like, Okay, anytime I go to Ms. Thomas, because at the time I was Ms. Thomas, not Dr. Thomas, anytime I go to Ms. Thomas, it's I have to make sure I have some some data to back up what I'm what I'm saying, or I know she's going to use data to have this conversation with me. So let me let me make sure that I have that done, right? So because I always ask that question, like, what do the numbers say? They would come to me already knowing like being prepared for that. So we would always have a conversation around data. One of the biggest things that I did in the building when I first got there, maybe in year two, it was year two, started realizing like they weren't talking about data. They weren't looking at their assessment data. They weren't looking at the behavior data. They weren't looking at any any kind of data. So every time I would have a conversation around it, it's like deer in headlights. So what I did was in the front of the building, as soon as you walk in the building, there's this huge blank wall. I purchased a huge board and put up the MSA data from the year prior, from first grade to fifth grade. So the first through second was, uh, I forgot what the state assessment was back then, but third through fifth grade was MSA data. Naturally, I didn't put student names, but I spent an entire Saturday in the building with no one in there, putting up purple, yellow, and green cards with teacher names. Oh, no, I put the teacher's names Mm -hmm. because we're a public school. It's public information, honey. Teacher X, Y, and Z. Yeah, you have uh, five advanced students, 15 basic students, and 12, uh, you know, below. Everyone's going to know that when they walk in the building. Mm -hmm. And this wasn't a surprise. It It wasn't a surprise for them because they knew that I kept asking and talking about data and they kept pushing back on like, I don't know, I don't know. Okay, let me show you what this is. The entire school data, as soon as you walk in the lobby, bam. Now you have parents asking questions. Well, how come I want my t- I want my kid in, in teacher X's room next year because she has a lot of uh, purple kids, right? So now because it's public information, the public is starting to talk about it. the school community is starting to talk about it. I would have conversations with parents in the lobby in front of the building, in front of the the, the bulletin board, the huge board. Mm-hmm. Now teachers are like, oh, mm-hmm. I see. 
that's that's it. That, mm -hmm. Well, and <laughs> right? just just seeing it is going to motivate their behavior. That's what again, absolutely. That's part absolutely. of the system, right? Oh, I I see that. It's a reminder that I need to move that data. And we're not asking you to make this help the students be all the way up here, but they can be a little bit better next week than they were the week before, right? We're just absolutely. looking for growth. Absolutely, and putting up that bulletin board sparked the movement like that initiated the the move that i needed because i had been talking about it i had you know these processes in place for data meetings and having conversations about it and um people would come to the meetings without having you know the forms completed because you have to come with the form completed with your student data they were coming to the meetings without it okay I'm not going to keep beating this one. Let me figure out how to how to how to get this movement because we are a public school. The information in this building is public. Let's make it public. Then that then that changed how then they started coming to the meetings with public posting. Man can have a, it could go both ways, um, but public posting can have a huge impact on performance as it did. I know for me yeah. back when I first learned about public posting and. Uh, you know, like I, I really wanted to be like the A on it. You know, I mean, I wanted my number to be higher than everybody else's. It had a huge <laughs> motivating effect on me. You know, um, and that's, I, that's I'm your sure, competitive nature. <laughs> oh, girl, I am a competitive too. And but and, and I know that it's going to weed out people. You know, yeah. and like if that, you know, like you, a good leader is going to take that and reinforce people with it. Right? They're going to say, okay, you're moving. This is wonderful. <clears throat> I know you did all that stuff. But you got to have the metric and the feedback. And I'm wondering, as part of the system, because I know that you guys were not only was it posted, I know that you were meeting on the data regularly and you must have been asking good questions about it. Like, what are they going to do to move the student? Or maybe you were having them tell you what they're going to do that week. Um, what about the students? Did, was there a system for the students looking at their own data when you, yes. when you were doing that? Yeah. So um, eventually we ended up using this cycle of data, the six step cycle of data. And we had a data room in our collaborative room. Um, and each grade level, so they worked as a team. So it wasn't teacher, teachers had to look at their individual students, but as a team by grade level, each grade level was posted up in the in the data room and they had thermometers for their goals. So that, you know, every grade level will come and say, oh, look, first grade is really moving. Well, let's talk to them and see what they're doing. Maybe there's some strategies, right? So it, it, it provided a source of uh, an avenue for teachers to start collaborating with one another around strategies that they were using because mm -hmm. the data in the collaborative teaching, the planning room was all over the place. Mm -hmm. And in the classrooms, they had, uh, yeah. we started introducing teachers to have conversations, one-on-one -on -one conversations with students about their, their assessments, right? Like, okay, this is where you are. This is where for your grade level, you should be. How do you feel about that? First graders. Okay. Third grade. Yes, good. Third graders, right? Because they have feelings. How mm -hmm. do you feel about that? And they are really honest about how they feel about their grades. They know. They know if they're not doing well in school, right? And so they have those conversations and they set goals with students. So mm -hmm. my requirement was that they met with five students a day, anywhere from three to five. And they would document that that child's like request or growth or goal setting, and it would be on their desk where they were, right? Good. The timeline of this is where I'm at. The next time I take an assessment, oh, look, I moved up. <laughs> this is great, right? And then the teacher had a class um, goal with like race cars for little kids, you know, for the first graders. Yeah, yeah. you see moving around, yeah. Right, so you can move it around, but every classroom was required to have a class, a visual of where we're moving as a class and every student had it on their desk for their individual growth. I love right? this. So it, it took time, naturally, this didn't happen overnight. It took time to get there because my goal was to first work on the staff. Here's where we are as a state of the school, y'all. I know why you got into education. Let's share, share why you got into it. So you have to encourage the heart. You have to pull on the heartstrings. Like who's the educator who motivated you in your life? Like pull on those pieces to really get staff on board. It's creating that and, value, and like I said you, earlier, that's good leadership. Right. Right. And then when you couple it with, I got you, I don't care what the district says, help them feel safe. I got you. We're going to do this. And if anyone has any questions, tell them to come to see me. Right. You couple that you have a cloak of protection over your teachers. 
you're pulling on that, looking at data, they feel safe. Then they, because once they feel safe, then they can have really confident conversations with their students around their individual data. Mm-hmm. So that took some time to get to the individual class. I can but- see it. I can see what you did there, right? You, 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 you prime the pump by just posing data, you know? So, so that created want, and I bet initially the want was, I don't want to look like a fool. You know what I mean? Right. I don't want to get in trouble and that's okay. It gets their behavior moving. So it gets their behavior moving so you can get in touch with positive reinforcement. Okay. So now they're asking questions and they're seeking stuff out. They're seeking you out. They're seeking other teachers. And all of a sudden, oh, wait a second. This feels good. My my kids are improving a little bit. You right. know, like my behavior is getting good. better. I feel part of this culture. It feels so good. But you got to get things moving in the right direction. It, it sounds like you didn't try to go right to that data wall first. You tried to do some other things, but people just weren't getting on board. So now you had to go this route. And at sometimes you just got to do stuff like that because you got to get the behavior moving if we're going to get in touch with positive reinforcement from a behavior perspective. I love this stuff. Yeah, I love yeah. what you're talking about here. Uh, the, so th- that was the system. You know, that's why I always use data as a source of how to get how to shift mindsets, how to change the ethos in a building, you know, how that that's, that's the system that I use. Can, can, all right. I love this. It, I, one of my books I wrote called the five scientific laws of leadership and you hit every damn one of them, man. So it's, <laughs> we had the five laws of this it's pinpointing, right? So pinpointing is right. what result do you want to achieve and what behaviors do we need to engage in to achieve that result? Right. The next one is goal setting. Okay, how are we going to quantify that stuff, right? So everybody's got their own goal and how we break it down to the measurable accomplishments so you can see a salient path moving that way. Next one is self-monitoring report out, right? You had this right at the chain from students to doing it, the teachers doing it. They're self-monitoring what they're doing and they're reporting out, right? The next one is reciprocal feedback. So everybody's got to have feedback, but it's reciprocal because I want to ask a question about this. And we're, we're getting closer to time here, but I want to find out how you did this, right? Uh, and then the final one is positive reinforcement. Now, positive reinforcement might be you telling them they're doing a great job or the teacher telling the students doing they're doing a great job. But the goal being that as they start doing a great job, they take value in just producing that outcome, right? Yes. It's the naturally occurring consequence that takes over the behavior. So we don't have to do that stuff anymore. It's like, I yes. like getting the good math grade. I feel good yes. about it. I'm able that to learn it. this stuff, but we just got to get them behaving well enough and long enough to do that. Now, my feedback model is reciprocal feedback, and this is like really important, I think. And so, and you already alluded to this, um, that we have to involve stakeholders. We got to find out how they're doing, how they're feeling about things. One of the issues that I've seen across uh, across the, the United States, probably across the world with this, is is we, 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 I think you would agree, and I know that you agree because you've already said it, that we got to find out how people are feeling about things, right? We got to check in with our stakeholders. Now, in schools, they have something called a climate survey, but unfortunately, they give the climate survey at the end of the year, and that's a freaking autopsy. In turnaround schools, like you can't wait till the end of the month even. you know, I want to be constantly checking in on my people and maybe having some formal check-ins w- with them with like a survey that goes to somebody else, right? Like my yeah. coach, right? So like one goes to you so you can coach the principal so they feel safe enough to give it to, you know, what did you do back then? And what do you recommend now? Yeah, that's a great question. So we realized that too, that it was an autopsy at the end of the year. Once I had my strong leadership team uh, on, on board and we gave a survey at the, in the middle of the school year, right around, um, you know, when you have those mid-year conferences, Mm -hmm. I would have each one, like each one of those, they don't even do that anymore. It's so sad, but um, well, anyway, some districts don't, but we would give, um, a survey monkey with about 10 questions. That's it. Nothing yeah, long does that be a lot? in January. And as a leadership team, we would look, look, examine like how people were feeling and make adjustments based on that. And one of the things that helped us retain staffs so well was because they realized that we were listening to them. Mm-hmm. Right. So even, even each time we had a staff meeting, we would give plus and deltas. Yeah. Like, what do we need to stop doing? What do we need to start doing? There it is. There's your feedback. And then, and then get yes. right continuous feedback loops. And so we would take those pieces. And when we had another meeting, it would be like, okay, we listened to you. And here's what we have. Like one of the simplest things that they wanted was they wanted the agenda in advance. Mm-hmm. Okay. There you, go. you got That's it. <laughs> Check. That's done. Right. They feel better about coming to the meeting. They don't feel like they're being like surprised by any any bullets on the agenda. 
And so it's really important to do that. So every single meeting, we would have plus and deltas at the end. Quick thing, just a quick couple of things. We looked through them. We would separate them. The things we could do right away that were really technical, we just took care of those right away. The things that we realized took a little longer, we would build that in a couple of agendas along, like throughout the school year, right? And and I'm guessing if you heard some things that like, you know what, seems like the message got out wrong, you'd be able to correct that and say, you know what, correct. we heard you, that, that we didn't communicate that well enough. Let us explain what's going on here. Rather than waiting till then the semester or the end of the year, you're able Absolutely. to adjust this really quick. And you're right. Absolutely. They love it. It, man they feel part they of the community because it. they are they love it when i left that school and opened up an uh, the, the all girls school i had staff follow me from that school to to the new school which was great right um and i still have staff from the first school that contact me and like miss t thank you so just thanking me for like yeah. Putting me on this trajectory of leadership and like a couple of them are principals now. Wonderful. You know, it's it's just it's amazing. Good it's amazing. leaders create more leaders, right? Yeah, yeah. And one of the things that you mentioned about this thing about feeling good doing it because it feels good. I got so much pushback. I cannot stand PBIS. Can I please say that? <laughs> well, let, uh, you say yes. Okay. Let me qualify that for a second, okay? Because I, I actually did my dissertation and I, I get it at some deeper levels. Here's where they screwed up, okay? And I don't blame you because a lot of schools I went in, PBIS was a miserable failure because it wasn't being taught right or applied right. So here's what people thought PBIS was. They think it's the token economy, right? And yes. Right. And this is the whole, I can't stand that either because it sucks so much life out of the school. So much energy goes into it. Like, I just need you to be nice to the kids. Can we smile at the kids? Ask them how yes. their weekend was doing. Compliment their shoes or something, right? Build relationships with them. And people may, and let's now, your point we need to look at our data and we need to use that data as feedback and we need to we need to teach student expectations which means we need to set a system for teachers to do that so that's what it was supposed to be and they also did things like they didn't teach how to punish and this is why i wrote my whole book quick responses they said well you should never punish like that behavior is not just going to suddenly go away even though we're creating lots of good relationships Behavior still happens, right? So yep. how are we going to address that behavior in a way that still builds relationships like a coach would do it, right? We right. need to equip the teachers because all they had was reprimand and timeout in the classroom and out of the classroom. And they're letting right. all this junk behavior going. They're being told to ignore and just should do the positive stuff. And I, it, it's the issue isn't ever with punishment. It's the, uh, well, I shouldn't say that. The issue is with the overuse of punishment and the misuse of punishment in an environment that's not richly positively reinforcing, right? Yes, and we want yes, the yes. teacher to have that kind of relationship. So PBIS was never explained that way. Yeah. And you were taught like you can't punish behavior, you can't correct. That is not true, right? Um, so it got a bad rap. And I think that a token economy should have brought, been brought in maybe to enhance something, right? But I'm like, nobody – that those tokens don't mean jack if you don't have good relationships. So I – I've been very vocal about that in my writings and even PBS folks that haven't. So I understand why that you'd be like, this is, this is Jack, yeah, but is the principles terrible. are, yeah, but the it's principles terrible. of it are, the principles are good. It's the token economies that end up hurting schools that are in high poverty when they're not doing the other pieces of the puzzle. Yeah. I, I got rid of, oh, I got so much pushback on it because the, the district actually gives you a fund of money for PBIS incentives, like the state gives you money for it. Like what? We had this whole big room with all of these trinkets and stuff. I'm like, no, I'm not giving you two blue pencils because you did your homework. Like what? Yeah. No. How do you feel about doing your homework? Do you feel good? Do you feel good that you got like your teacher said, great job today? Like that, we need to move to more intrinsic values and rewards. We do, but we have to get it there, right? So for that kid that doesn't care about the teacher giving the praise right there, they might care about the blue pencil or whatever, you know, but we want it to be that they do care about the math. So we, again, we got to get them behaving well enough and long enough that that math does have value. And that's where the teacher, we need to teach them how to be good educational leaders, good classroom leaders to inspire the students to do that stuff. But as we already talked about, a lot of them don't have those things. So yeah. the extra stuff, it should be temporary, right? The goal is never that. The goal is to bridge the gap. And I know that the teachers, because they need to have better knowledge and skills yeah. to be that inspiration, because they'll be like, well, he doesn't just want to do it, you know? And, and they'll say, well, why do we have to give him the pencil? And I agree with that. I wish that we didn't. But in the absence of a reinforcer, in the absence of something of value, because you can screw stuff up 
with that stuff too. You can screw it up where you make it about that pencil instead of making it about the grade. And so that's, that's, be very, what it, that's what it was. In, they, in they're that misusing book. it. That's why, right? It should be very, they got to make it. It's so wonderful to get this stuff, but they were just making it all about that stuff. And I think that's where it hurt things. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it became. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I, and I understand. I saw that all the time. Because thank you for clarifying that. Because in my mind, I'm like, I'm anti-PBIS. Yeah, even- it's, it's not that. It's a system for improving <laughs> behavior. What you are are anti the misuse of token economies. Yeah, I am. Uh, that's what it came down to. So um, listen, you are awesome. I know your 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 students had to been what a, what a, they were so lucky to have your teachers. Um, you're very authentic. Man, Thank we can, you. you know, we you, you I, I can tell that you, you know, don't just talk the talk, you walk the walk. Um, I I I, I hope that you stay in touch with me. Um yeah, because we need more probably. people I've out in the world this. like you. Yeah. I've enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you for coming on. And make sure um, if somebody wants to reach out to you, uh, where can they do it? And in, in, in just so they don't have to like, oh, quick scramble, I want you to sh- send me anything you'd like to put in the show notes when we're done so they can also just go look in that. But just, you know, how can how can they reach you if they, if they needed to? Great. Thank you for that. So I can be reached at contact at drivenllc.com. So that's D-R-I-V-Y-N llc.com contact at driven llc.com all right awesome uh it's been really wonderful having you on dr thomas uh i do look forward i want to check in with you next year make sure next year around this time you you uh give me a shout i'd like to find out what's going on with you and uh we'll get you back on again okay that sounds great thank you so much paulie i appreciate you keep doing the work you're doing Traditionally, many crisis management systems have taken a what's wrong with you approach that begins as a person escalates when addressing behavioral issues. PCM, as a trauma-informed approach rooted in implied behavior analysis, shifts this perspective from what's wrong with you to what happened to you by having a complete picture of a person's situation in life, past and present. This approach is fundamental to applied behavior analysis and therefore PCM as it seeks to determine the root causes of behavior based on both the current environment and the individual's history as a means of individualizing education, treatment, and support. For more about PCM, check out crisisintervention.com.